Welcome to the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins, and I'm going to share the real secrets of magic. I want to be like Houdini. Well, I guess I don't really want to be like Houdini. He's dead. He died on October 31st, 1926, if I recall. Well, I don't recall because I wasn't born yet in 1926. Huh, oh my. I'm having trouble getting this episode started. <laughs> I have written a book called I Want to Be Like Houdini, and the book is my particular adventures as a magician that have to do with Houdini one way or another. There have been many, many, many books written about Houdini. I have dozens of them in my personal collection in my library here at the Fantastic Magic Center, so we don't need another book about Houdini except that I have all these individual personal experiences, ideas, and so on, and there are enough of them to literally fill a book. I would love to get the book finished this year on the market by October 31st, but realistically with all the other projects that may not happen. For one thing, I need to record a podcast episode every week so that at 8 o'clock on Monday morning or somewhere near there, you get a brand new story or series of stories. And this episode is about I Want to Be Like Houdini. My friend Joe Vitale, when he saw the book in progress, the first draft, wrote a nice introduction for the book and confided that he also had wanted to be like Houdini when he was a child. What that really means is Houdini is the most famous magician in the history of the universe. Sorry, David, but that's the case. So any young boy or girl, for that matter, who wants to be a magician would certainly read about Houdini, learn about, and maybe even try to emulate Houdini, who is most famous for his escapes. Now, yes, Houdini is supposedly the first person to make an elephant disappear, a live elephant, in his magic show. And I talk about that uh, some episodes back when I'm talking about magic with animals. But that's not what he was known for. He was famous for being able to escape from almost anything. This week's episode of Tales from the Fantastic Magic Center is a little bit about my relationship with the memory of Houdini. My first real connection with Houdini was the 1954 movie called Houdini, starring Tony Curtis and Janet Leigh. Uh, for years, my favorite actor was Tony Curtis, and my favorite actress was Janet Lee. Back in those days, you could go into the movie theater at any time, and you would watch until the movie ended, and then it would start again after some cartoons and other stuff. You would stay until you remembered that this is where I came in, and that's where that expression came from. I was living in New Orleans, in 1954, I only lived there for a year, fifth grade primarily. That is where I was living, and the Sanger Theater downtown had a promotion for the Houdini movie in which a magician escaped from a straitjacket while hanging upside down from the inn, I believe, in Sanger. Of course, I was excited about that, and then I went in to see the movie, and I probably watched it three times all the way through because I just thought it was marvelous. 
And so that was my real introduction to Houdini. And I noticed that Dunninger, who I had read about, I had heard of, in fact, I actually saw him on TV once. I had heard that Dunninger was the technical director for magic stuff. And I wondered why Dunninger let them show Houdini dying in the water torture cell, because that was actually an illusion that he performed many times. He did not die in the water torture cell. I guess the theater people thought that it would be a better movie if he died that way instead of the real way he died, which was appendicitis. And there's quite a bit of interesting history about how he got appendicitis. I read one place where his appendix was on the wrong side, so it wasn't diagnosed. There are stories about the boys who came and asked him if he could withstand a blow to his stomach and he said absentmindedly yes, and so somebody hauled off and hit him so hard that it uh, caused an injury which ultimately wound up with a burst appendix. Whether any of this is completely true or not, I don't know, because that was long before I was born. I've read a lot of books, but the books have different things to say about it. The first book about Houdini that I read, and still one of my favorites, is called The Great Houdini, by Beryl Williams and Samuel Epstein. I'm looking at a copy of the book now. It says 50 cents. Yeah, uh-huh. Can't get books for 50 cents anymore. But this is part of the Scholastic Book Club that uh, I got when I was in high school. And so I read all about him, probably read the book three or four times, just like I had seen the movie three or four times. And that gave me a different perspective on Houdini. Oh, let me go back and talk about the Houdini movie for just one more moment, because here at the Fantastic Magic Center, I have several bookshelves full of books and magazines about Houdini, and I've got a 33 and a third LP on the Houdini seance, and I've got lots of Houdini stuff, as you can well imagine. But one of my favorites is a blue and white poster, big theater-sized poster, which is about the Houdini movie, but it was a poster that was sent to magic stores. And magic stores could put the poster up to promote the movie. That was a logical thing for the theaters to do. Apparently, not very many of them have survived. I think I probably paid five bucks for mine, probably when I was in high school or something. When I was in the fifth grade, I didn't have any friends in magic stores that would just give me one. I do remember buying it. It didn't cost me much because I didn't have a lot of money. And the last time I saw one for sale, it was over $1,000. I had it framed to protect it, but sadly, whoever did the framing didn't do that great a job. So you can still see some ripples in the paper and so on, but I've been hesitant to take it apart and get it reframed. It's on display, and it has a picture of Tony Curtis as Houdini pulling Janet Lee, supposedly, out of a top hat that's on a dragon table. And I have a dragon table just like that. You can get them at Abbott's Manufacturing Company. And I have a top hat just like that. And although I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter, I don't have a Janet Lee just like that. Those are just among the many things about Houdini that are on display here at the Magic Center. Another way that I learned more about Houdini was through my uncle, the Reverend Vernon R. Cummins. And I've talked about him in previous episodes as well, he was founder and lifetime president of the American Spiritualist Alliance. 
Mackey and I were great buddies when I was a kid. He would uh, take me around town in San Antonio. We would then go to his office where he could check the mail and look through his paperwork. And while he was doing that, I was looking through the magazines, chimes, the newspapers, Psychic Observer, and I'd look for anything that might have to do with magic in general or Houdini in particular. And I've got some very interesting articles about Houdini from the standpoint of the spiritualist world. And as you can imagine, they're quite different from the articles about Houdini in Genie the Conjurer's magazine. All of those publications, all of those books, all of that information, the posters, they're all on display here at the Magic Center. Houdini became famous as an escape artist. Frankly, I have never really been an escape artist. I've tried to do escapes a number of times. I had a fun thing I did in junior high school where I taped myself to an office chair using adding machine tape and then escaped without tearing the tape, sort of like escaping from a paper bag, I guess. I've got some interesting memorabilia about that in one of my scrapbooks. I also tried escaping from handcuffs, chains, and leg irons while underwater in a swimming pool. I did successfully escape, which is good because I didn't know how to swim. Don't tell mom. I have one illusion, the stocks of Zanzibar, that I bought from the great Scott here in Austin, Texas, and have performed it many, many times. The most memorable time was with my daughter, Carolyn Kim, who was wearing an interesting stage coat. And here's the situation. Our friend uh, Jim Baldoff had discovered that he had some priceless Houdini memorabilia in a closet just in a bag or a box somewhere. He had gotten it from an acrobat when the acrobat was in his later years and Jim was in his early years. The acrobat, when he died, had given Jim some of his magic stuff, and Jim didn't realize how valuable some of this stuff was until much, much later, when he was in his later years, and he read a book that talked about the relationship between Houdini and the acrobat and their families, their wives. It turns out that Jim had a stage coat that was made and worn by Bess Houdini. We had a big press party at the Driscoll Hotel in Austin. The Driscoll Hotel is where Bess and Houdini would, uh, the Houdinis, would stay when they were performing at what was then called the Majestic Theater. It's called the Paramount today. And Carolyn and I performed the Stocks of Zanzibar. Of course, we called it Houdini's Stocks of Zanzibar, even though I'm not aware of Houdini ever actually trying to escape from pillory stocks. He probably did just because he would do almost anything especially if it got his name and photo in the newspaper or otherwise promoted. He was a master of self-promotion. So my daughter has actually worn the stagecoat made and worn by Bess Houdini. I wish we could have bought it, but it was way beyond our budget. You can probably guess whose collection it's in now. Yes, David Copperfield's so-called secret museum in Las Vegas. The other Houdini trick that I have is also probably not really a Houdini trick. Uh, magicians call it the Siberian chain escape. I call it the Houdini chain escape because that makes it sound more interesting. And in my show, I tell the audience that I'm going to show them a rare picture of Houdini when he was performing, and I show them what turns out to be an empty frame. 
and I say, oh, he disappeared. I knew he could disappear from handcuffs and leg irons and straitjackets. I didn't know he could escape from a picture frame, but here, and I take the frame all apart and show all sides of it, and he's nowhere to be found. I put it back together again, and then I point out one of the things I know about Houdini is that he had a huge ego, and so if we all call out his name, maybe he'll reappear. One, two, three, and we all call out, Houdini! I turn the frame over, and there, in fact, is a portrait on metal of Houdini from years and years ago. And that, of course, is my opening for performing the so-called Houdini chain escape. The performance starts where I show a pair of manacles and ask the audience if they know what it is. And, of course, they'll all holler out, handcuffs! And I tell them that they're almost right. They're like handcuffs, but they're a little bit larger. They're called leg irons. And these are Strauss leg irons used by the U.S. Navy during World War II. And the reason I know that is that I first saw them at the Buckhorn Museum in downtown San Antonio when I was just a young teenager. You see, my grandpa was the manager of the Buckhorn, and so I saw these during a summer vacation, and I said, Grandpa, Grandpa, I want to buy those. And Grandpa said, Can't. Those are not a toy. I know, Grandpa, I know, but I want to be like Houdini. And we talked about it, and he tried to talk me out of it, but I had my own money, and finally I talked him into it, and he allowed me to purchase the leg irons. This was my grandpa, my mom's dad. I was obviously staying with my grandparents, actually my dad's mom, while we were in San Antonio, and so I was all excited. I went back to uh, my grandparents' house. I put on the leg irons, and then I realized, oh, I've read about Houdini. I've seen the movie, but I don't actually know how he escaped from stuff. And so I start working on it and working on it, and I'm not having any luck. I'm not going to escape. And then all of a sudden, can't, it's lunchtime. Yes, Mom. And so I hobbled over in the leg irons to the kitchen, had my lunch, and then hobbled back into the living room. Back then, our living room didn't have a TV set in it, and there was nobody else there except me. And so I'm working on it and working on it. Can't, yes, Mom, supper time already? Okay. And I hobble back over to the kitchen, and I have my supper, and I hobble back to the living room. Now I'm really going to get out. And I'm working on it, and I'm working on it. Can't. What? Uh, uh, sorry. Yes, Mom? It's bedtime. Oh. So the leg irons came with a key. I put the key into the manacle on my right uh, ankle, and I turn it, and it opens, and I take it off, and I then put the key into the leg iron on my left ankle, and I turn it, and it breaks. This is an absolutely true story. It breaks without opening the leg iron. It's stuck. I try paper clips. I try bobby pin. I cannot get it open. Mom insists it's time for bed. I have to sleep with these things on. And the next morning, my Uncle Vernon, yes, that same Uncle Vernon, takes me to J. Ross Bowles, who's a well-known locksmith in San Antonio. They are still in business today under new management. And my Uncle Vernon says, my nephew, Kent, he wants to be like Houdini. And they laughed and laughed and laughed. But the locksmith got me out. And therefore, here are the manacles, the leg irons, and I realized that Grandpa was right. These are not a toy. But I still wanted to be like Houdini, and so I got this chain from the pet store, 
and this is where I perform what magicians call the Siberian chain escape. Basically, I put chains around my wrists. Uh, they're very tight. I have someone from the audience uh, inspect them and lock them, and ultimately, of course, I escape. Not anywhere near as exciting as being put into a packing box and being thrown over the bridge into a frozen uh, lake or river. Not even as exciting as hanging upside down with a straitjacket. But hey, I wanted to be like Houdini. One of my magician friends in Austin was Ron Cartledge, a retired PE teacher. He got so interested in magic and the history of magic, he was not a professional performer, but he was a pretty good performer. I saw a number of his presentations, and he wrote a very important book called Houdini's Texas Tours, 1916 and 1923. Not only do I have signed copies of the book here at the Magic Center, I also have uh, some of his other memorabilia, including a book about Houdini and the Ku Klux Klan. And I'm not going to talk about that on the radio or on a podcast, but uh, if you'd like to see it, come by the Magic Center. I'll be happy to show it to you. Sadly, I had to do the broken wand ceremony when Ron passed away. I have a number of his most important collectible things here on display at the Magic Center. I try really hard at Fantastic Magic Center to keep things that maybe nobody else has that are an important part of the history of magic. And of course, I have more Houdini stories, but I'm running out of time for this week. I guess you'll just have to wait till the book comes out. Now that I've said out loud that I'm writing the book, maybe I'll be more motivated to get it out as soon as possible. Meanwhile, keep listening. I'm Kent Cummins. Join us next time for more tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. And if you'd like even more information, well, join us on our website, fantasticmagiccenter.com. Kent cannot preserve the secret legacy of magic without your support. Start today by going to fantasticmagiccenter.com and clicking the red Join Our Patreon button.